The Franklin Church of Christ thanks you and welcomes you as we open our hearts to the Word of God. One of the most discussed Bible books of our day is Revelation, yet many of us simply struggle with it. In this lesson, Edwin Crozer will examine Revelation and explain how it is a message for our times. May God bless this study and bless you. The world that we're facing today is not the same world that we were in just a few years ago. The events of September 11th changed our society, changed our world. Of course, we recognize as Christians that the attack that was caused about three years ago was prompted by religion. And one of our fears as we consider that is what happens if the Muslims in our communities decide to take up the battle cry of the Quran and follow in the footsteps of these predecessors of theirs that have gone on before them. And they begin to strive to persecute the Christian religion here like they do in other nations. I must admit that on one hand, I really don't think that's very likely. But on the other hand, I still wonder, what if it happens? What do we do? I take a look back into the New Testament, and I recognize that our brethren in the first century endured a persecution that we might find unimaginable in our modern times. And I think about the kind of sermons that they must have heard repeatedly to provide encouragement for them that they would continue on. I remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, as he traveled back strengthening the disciples, he encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And I think about what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As he wrote again, encouraging the brethren in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, as he said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of our Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And He says, therefore comfort one another with these words. How often these brethren had to hear these kind of lessons and receive these messages to comfort them, to encourage them to continue on despite the enemies that they were facing. And I also think about the book of Revelation that was written during such a time as this, in which the Christians were being persecuted, in which they were facing torment and torture, and some of them death, as they were being oppressed by the society around them. And as I look at the book of Revelation, I recognize that it is a message for our times as we consider our fears. 
as we consider what we might face. Having said that, however, please do not misunderstand me. We do not need to believe that the book of Revelation was written to prophesy modern events. You can read the book of Revelation from the beginning to the end, backwards and forwards. You can start in the middle and go both ways, and not one single time will you find anything in the book of Revelation that prophesied the fall of the towers, that prophesied the war in Iraq or the military action in Afghanistan. In fact, there is not one event in our modern day that you can find prophesied in the book of Revelation. It is just not there. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the Scripture there says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants things which must soon take place, or must shortly take place." And He sent and signified it by His angel to His bondservant John, who testified to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw." Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John was not talking about things that would happen 2,000 years down the road. He was talking about things that must shortly take place. And the time is near, he says. Then you can look in verse 9. And we find in verse 9, I, John, your brother and and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, we find out that John and his audience were not concerned about some future great tribulation. They had their own tribulation. They needed comfort. They needed encouragement because they needed something to help them through their tribulation. But interestingly, not only was he a companion in tribulation, he was a companion in the kingdom. John was not telling these brethren about some kingdom that would be established thousands of years down the road. John was talking to them about the kingdom that had already been established. Look back in verse 6. Revelation 1 and verse 6, He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation was not written to prophesy events from our time. Revelation was written to provide the brethren then who were going through a tribulation comfort and encouragement in order to make it through that tribulation. How then can I say that it's a message for our times? Well, it's a message for our times that as we read this book written to Christians that were going through difficulty, we need to see where we parallel them and where we parallel them, the message applies to us. And the encouragement that was offered to them is offered to us. And so we ask the question then, what are the parallels? What parallels can we find? Look in Revelation 13. In Revelation chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. In Revelation chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, it says that the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. 
They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? And on it goes about this great beast. As we take a look at this apocalyptic picture of this beast, we remember prophecies from the Old Testament and we recognize, as we tie all of this together, that we're not just seeing a picture of some great monster, but rather here he's talking about an authority. Wearing diadems, crowns. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with government. Just as in the book of Daniel, the beasts and monsters there represented the kingdoms that would come on the face of the earth. This beast represents the kingdom, the governing authority that was attacking Christianity. We recognize, of course, that our government is not executing any Christians, not yet. They're not imprisoning us for being Christians or for what we're teaching. But we also recognize that our government is not entirely friendly toward us either, are they? And to the extent that our government might oppose us and our society and the kingdom of America, might oppose Christianity, we have a parallel. Sometimes when we might feel discouraged and distressed because our nation is not supporting us, we have an unfriendly government. Even today when it's probably at its friendliest to spiritual things. But then we look in Revelation chapter 13 and we begin in verse 11. John writes, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And on it goes talking about this second beast. What do we find? We find a beast that causes worship. Worship of the wrong things. A beast that provides signs of a religious nature. What is this? Later in the book, he's called the false prophet. We find here not only an unfriendly government that opposes Christianity, but false religion. And is there not false religion today that opposes Christianity? Our fear since September 11th is that the Muslim religion, a false religion, would rise up and attack. But what about other religions that attack? Maybe not in a violent way. What about atheism? And the attacks that we're under because of that religion. What about even false Christian religions? And the attacks that they make against the truth. We find a parallel here. Unfriendly government. False religion. And to the extent that we deal with these same kinds of oppression and these same kinds of attacks, the message that John wrote to these Christians in the first century is a message for us. A message of encouragement. A message of victory. As you consider this, remember in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 that John said that this message was signified to his bondservant John. That is, signified. It's placed in signs. And symbols. As we read the book of Revelation, we see great numbers of symbolism. We see signs that mean something. Today we're just going to take an overview look at this book. We're not going to be able to look at all the signs in depth. 
But just keep in mind that we are reading something that is extremely symbolic. As we ask the question, what messages do we find for our times? There are four messages that I think we can learn from the book of Revelation. The very first message is that we'll have enemies who attack us. When you look at the book of Revelation and all its symbolism with all its pictures, one of the number one messages that it provides is that God has enemies. His people have enemies. And we will always have enemies. And not only will we have enemies, but these enemies will attack us. Look in chapter 11. In chapter 11, we read about these two witnesses of God that have great power. Then in Revelation 11 and verse 7, it says, when they have finished their testimony, that comes up Excuse me. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them. The beast will attack. The enemy will attack. Look at chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, in verse 17, we read about the dragon, who of course is a picture of Satan in the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, in verse 17, it says, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon will attack. We have enemies. Satan, excuse me, will use them to attack us. We need to be prepared. In chapter 13, and verse 7, the beast that we read about moments ago that comes up out of the sea, It says in verse 7 of Revelation 13, it was also given to him to make war with the saints. The beast is going to attack. The false prophet later in the chapter is going to hell. We have enemies. And they will not just sit back and be friendly to us. They are going to attack us. They're going to oppress us. They're going to torment us. They're going to mock us. And all these things that they're going to do. Granted, during these Bible days, they faced attacks that you and I haven't faced. But we recognize that we have enemies and our enemies will attack. And that will always be the case until the end of time when Jesus conquers the final enemy death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 54, Paul says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus is going to conquer death, the final enemy. But until that time, we have enemies. And our enemies are going to attack us. And we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised. We need to be prepared. But here is what's most frightening. Is that not only will our enemies attack, but the book of Revelation demonstrates that there are going to be times when it looks like the enemies are winning. Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, when the Lamb breaks the second seal on the scroll, He says, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and another... A red horse went out, and to him who sat on it it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and don't damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! 
I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Sometimes things are going to look bad. It's going to look like the enemies are winning, winning, fanning. Getting my words mixed up here. I'll get it here in a second. Famine, pestilence, persecution, death, war. It's all going to continue, and at times it's going to look like the enemy is winning. In fact, it's going to be so bad that chapter 6 and verse 10 pictures the martyrs who have already died as they're under the altar of God saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It looks bad. And of course, God responds to them, You just have to wait a little while longer. It looks bad. It looks like the enemy is winning. Look in chapter 11. The two witnesses. The beast makes war with them. And in chapter 11 and verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and the tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they'll send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. It's going to look like God's enemies are winning. Chapter 13, the beast. In verse 7, it says that he'll make war with the saints. But if we keep reading in verse 7 of chapter 13, it says that the beast will make war with the saints to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to them. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. Continue on down in verse 14 about the land beast, the false prophet. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Looks like God's enemies are winning. What's God doing? How long? We might cry. But there will be times when it looks like the enemy is winning. Chapter 17 and verse 7. John sees the great harlot called Babylon. And in chapter 17 and verse 6, he said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And that is exactly what God's servants do when they see what appears to be the victory of God's enemies. That's what it looks like at times. We have enemies, and our enemies will attack, and sometimes it will look like our enemies are winning. But the great message of the book of Revelation is 
That while we may sit back and we may wonder and we may cry out, how long? God, when are you going to do something? God is doing something. We may not be able to see it, but God has His plan. And in the end, God always wins. And that's the key. It may look at times as though God's enemies are winning, but in the end, God always wins. Go back to chapter 6. In chapter 6, we saw how bad it looked on the earth, such that the martyrs were crying out, How long? How long? But notice verse 12. I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. But notice who this is happening to. Verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave, and every free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? At times it may look like the enemy is winning, but in the end God's wrath will come upon the enemy, and they will be judged, and they will not be able to stand in His presence. God always wins. Chapter 11. The two witnesses, with all their power, were still defeated, it seemed, by the beast and by his people. And they died, and folks were celebrating and rejoicing for three and a half days. But in chapter 11 and verse 11, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! And then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. It may look at times like God's enemies are winning. But in the end, the judgment of God always comes and God always wins. In chapter 13, we read about the beasts. We read about their war and how it looks like they're overcome. But in chapter 16, we read about the bowls of God's anger and wrath poured out on the beast and on the followers of the beast. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you notice verse 1 of Revelation 16, that I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast who worshipped his image. These bowls of wrath poured out are poured out on God's enemies, but notice this even further regarding the beasts, the false prophet, and those who follow him in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20 and 21. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20 and 21, the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. What happens to the beasts? They are seized and thrown into the lake of fire. It may look like they were winning, but in the end, God destroyed them. And those who followed them, slain with the sword, and the birds of the air are filled with their flesh. It may have looked like God's enemies were winning, but in the end, 
God always wins. The harlot of Revelation chapter 17, drunk with the blood of the saints, in chapter 18 and verse 2. Angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with His glory. And in verse 2 of chapter 18, He cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful birth. And on it goes and describes her fall. And how the nations of the earth will mourn over And how amazing it is that despite all her power... She came to such a terrible end. It may have looked like God's enemies were winning. But in the end, God always wins. We have enemies. They will attack. Sometimes it will look like they're winning, but God always wins. Why is John giving us this message? Because we've got to choose sides. And if we are faithful to the side of Christ, we'll be rewarded. And John is encouraging all those who serve the Lord, no matter what enemies attack. It may look bad now, but the reward of God is far greater than anything you might experience right now. Hang on to the Lord. Be faithful because He will reward you. He begins with seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. And repeatedly there in chapter 2 and chapter 3 as he concludes those letters, he talks about the promises of God's reward to those who overcome and who maintain faithfulness. In chapter 2 and verse 7 he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Chapter 2 and verse 11 he says, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In chapter 2, And verse 17, he says, To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I'll give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. In chapter 2 and verse 26, he says, He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. In chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he'll not go out from it anymore, and I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. And then in chapter 3 and verse 21, he says, He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. John says these are the promises that await us if we just maintain faithfulness and overcome and don't switch sides. He says, I know it looks like the enemy's winning, but God always wins. And if you want God's reward, you've got to be faithful. Choose the proper side. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. We read about the enemy and their attack, the tribulation. But in chapter 7, we find out about the judgment of God and His reward in chapter 7 and verse 10. The myriads of people that are following God, they're in white robes, 
palm branches in their hands, and in verse 10 they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them or will dwell with them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst any more nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's the victory that is to be found in Jesus. Chapter 11. The witnesses thought they were overcome, called to life, and the judgment of God comes upon the people. Then in verse 15 of chapter 11, the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He'll reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God which is in heaven was open, and the ark of His covenant appeared in His temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. God delivered His people and He rewards them. Judges those who attack. Chapter 14 and verse 13 describes the victory even of those who die because of the tribulation and the torment and the persecution that come from the enemies. He says in Revelation 14:13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. What a reward. A rest from their labors. While those who are marked with the mark of the beast, Revelation says they don't go to rest but torment day and night forever. Chapter 19, we read about the marriage feast of the Lamb. Verse 7 of Revelation 19, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Then He said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. What a blessing. Married to the Lamb, His bride. What a victory. And then chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, reminds us of those martyrs under the altar that said, How long? And He said, Just wait a little while. And here at the end of the book, He says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or His image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. What a victory. What a victory. What a picture of victory. And then chapter 21 and 22. The bride of Christ, the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And the peace and the victory. And the tree of life is there. And the river of life flows from the throne of God. And the victors can partake of it and live and reign forever. What a powerful picture of victory. What a great blessing and reward. What does John tell us? We'll have enemies and they will attack us. And there will be times, brethren, when it looks like God's enemies are winning. But in the end, God always wins. So choose wisely. Be faithful to the Lord because then you'll be rewarded. And to the extent that we today face the enemies of God, face the discouragement and the distress that comes from persecution or oppression or even just life in this world, that's not always that easy. The message of the book of Revelation is the same for us. It's not telling us to look for any particular events to talk about the end of time. It's just telling us that when God's enemies attack, you need to be faithful because God will win. And in the end, you want to be on His side. And so the question is, whose side are you on? Thank you, Edwin. That was certainly an intriguing and thought-provoking approach to the book of Revelation. Let's remember what we have learned. The book of Revelation does not prophesy events for our lifetime. However, to the extent that we face similar opposition from our society, government, and false religion, the messages of Revelation are for our times. The four great lessons are, one, we will have enemies who attack us. Two, sometimes those enemies appear to be winning. Three, take comfort and courage. God always wins. And four, if we are faithful, we will be rewarded. Again, thank you for listening to this study. We hope it has edified and helped you. If you have any questions about the book of Revelation, about the Franklin Church of Christ, or about how you may be saved by the blood of the Lamb, please call us at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. Thank you, and may God bless you richly.